on the sled and here comes the law and I can't remember the guy's name that that helped him uh, back then and uh, so he saw the law coming he jumped he jumped ship ran got away and they couldn't find him or they couldn't find my grandfather so they took the mules into custody to the jail and of course my grandfather never did claim the mules uh, but they all had a good idea of who they were <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to the intersection of good drinks, good music, and good times. This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. I hope everyone had a happy Easter or just a great weekend. we got a great episode for you this week, but before that, if you missed any of our past episodes, like our interview with Frank Ray, Craig Campbell, go to hopspirits.com because you don't want to miss those. And this week, we talk with Tommy Townsend as he has... Uh, some amazing stories to share with his time with Waylon Jennings. Also, he owns a distillery, so you don't want to miss that for our main conversation. But up next for Tasting Notes is Kevin Patterson, and we talk spring beers. Let's not waste any more time and get to the show. Did you know Hops and Spirits is more than just this podcast? Check out hopspirits.com for our latest episode release, past episodes, interviews with interesting folks in the alcohol industry, and so much more. Just go to hopspirits.com. Feel free to wait until this podcast is done. Back with us once again here on Tasting Notes, and I think it's the first time in the in, in 2023, and I'm not sure how that, that's happened, but we're glad to have him back. He's a Cicerone National Beer Judge. He's also the manager of the Beer Trap Craft Beer Store and Bar in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome back, Kevin Patterson. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I uh, thought you forgot about me there for a little while, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad to see that you didn't, and uh, I'm happy to be back. I, w- I could never do that. You always bring some good knowledge, and uh, you know it's it's a good time to talk beer because the weather, hopefully wherever you are, is getting a little warmer, and maybe you're getting to sit out on the the back patio or the front porch or or maybe on the sidewalk at the you know the the beer trap, um, which basically means that I think the seasons are changing, and I think that means the beers are changing a little bit too. Yeah, they do. And one thing I've kind of recognized, and I don't know why I didn't recognize this in previous years, but I feel like the winter to spring transition is one of the biggest transitions in terms of beer that we've seen. And I think the reason why is because there's a big group of people who really love those winter beers, and they're slow to let go of them. And so they kind of want the big, bold flavors, the heavier bodies, the more alcohol. But then there's a lot of other folks that are looking forward to getting the pool open, doing outdoors activities and basement in the sun and they want a lighter beer to kind of go along with it so brewers have tough decisions to make you know how much of the lean do they put on the seasonal creep versus how much they hold back and really cater to those people holding on to uh, the bigger beers well and as as we've talked over over the years i feel like some of these beers have now basically become year-round because like you said like you say Inside, it can be whatever you want it to be. So you can drink a sour in the winter and a, a you know a, a hefty stout in the summer. Um, but with that said, there are some styles that are a little more prevalent this time of year. And what what are those that people will see? Well, some of the more uh, religious uh, significance, you have the Bach beers, Doppelbachs coming up. And even though those are heavier beers, most people want to drink them whenever it's colder outside. They are traditional. Uh, springtime beers, you know, build around the Easter holiday and the Lent uh, period that, that leads up to that. Um, traditionally, those beers have been what sustained monks during the fasting period of Lent. Can you imagine being in this big castle with a bunch of your brothers and you're not eating anything, you're just drinking all day and all night? It had to be a hell of a party. And so those beers kind of sustain them. So you need those big calorie heavy beers to kind of do that. 
So that's your religious connotations with this kind of year. Um, but yeah, I mean, certain other beers, they have that cross-calendar appeal. IPAs, for instance, they, there's an IPA uh, for every season. If people want hops in the summer, they're going to want them in the winter. And so what you end up with is lighter IPAs, drier, crisper stuff, maybe in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, you have more imperial beers, big on the hazies. Um, and, and so everywhere in between. So right now, brewers have the decision to make. Do they go a little bit more sessionable with the IPAs that they make to kind of like pull people into the pool season? Or do they want to hold back a little bit and give people uh, the booze they want in an imperial IPA that might go 10, 11%? Um, sour ales have largely done the same um, in the last couple of years brewers have kind of responded to the need for sour ales and traditionally we've only thought of those as being uh, kind of summer beers or spring beers warm weather beers um, but that thirst didn't stop once it cold once the weather cooled down so now brewers like well if people want a sour beer in the winter let's just give them a heavier one let's give them a bolder one something with a little bit more alcohol a little bit more strength so it's pretty common to see your sour ales go you know, seven, eight percent, maybe even higher, uh, with a lot more of those darker fruit remnants in there. So it really captures the essence of those flavors of the holiday, and uh, without really abandoning the flavor for the sours. Um, hazy IPAs do the same. Regular IPAs do the same. Um, even your dark beers, you know, that have been heavy, uh, people still want those dark beers in the summertime too. They just don't necessarily want a fifteen percent dark beer. So the classic beers like Costa's or Schwartz beer and Dunkel's, um, those kind of pick up a little bit too, because there's a thirst for those. So brewers, you know, have a hard time deciding what to make to appease all palates. And, and like you said, there there are plenty of those out there now, as everyone pretty much, um, you know, wants something something different. And but but like I said, this is kind of the time of year where you see that big change because you really don't see one in summertime because what have what you have in spring is kind of still what you're going to have have in, in the summer but obviously i feel like we get a little bit more toward the fruit side of things and you'll see some some strawberry lagers strawberry colches things like that more so than you would other times you do um what what brewers have a tendency to push deeper into spring uh, to deeper into summer right now um instead of holding back on winter well they're all on board whenever it comes summertime so you don't really see much of a transition from spring to summer you just see more of those you know, springtime beers that lean summery just become more prevalent during the summer. So yeah, more wheat beers, more lagers, more lighter IPAs and the, the fruits there in abundance that time of year, everybody kind of eating fruit salads and whatnot. So um, beer, beer makers respond to that and they're like, all right, let's, let's give people that lighter fare that they kind of want. Um, beer drinkers though, they've gotten to the point where like, we don't mind having summery flavors, but we don't want a weak beer. Uh, what we used to call sessionelles you know, they had a, you know, brief uptick there, you know, for four or five years, maybe a decade ago. Um, but now people are like, you know, we, we do want lighter alcohol beers, but they can't have a weak body. They can't be watery. They can't have this thin mouthfeel. We still want beers to have this sort of uh, sense of boldness and flavor and a texture to match without necessarily carrying all the calories or all the heaviness associated with the mouthfeel of an imperial ale. So basically, they're challenging brewers to, to step their game up. <laughs> they really are. And the uh, the good news is the access to, to beers now is greater than it's ever been. Certainly, your local breweries, they carry a lot of things, and they, they can have a portfolio that might go, you know, 20, 25 beers. Um, but drinkers now, they can mail order stuff to Kentucky pretty easily. So they're having a tendency to get beers out of market uh, that might be ahead of where local brewers are. And so they're drinking those beers and they're going to their local brewery. And they're like, hey, I had this the other day. Can you make one of these? 
So it's, it's helping everybody kind of up the game a little bit to create bigger, bolder, flavorful beers, error-free, um, and, you know, and, and do it without sacrificing that body or that flavor that they kind of want in those other brands. Well, like I said, it's an exciting time in the in the beer world because, like I said, obviously, beer your, the styles begin to change, things begin to change. Although I think uh, one of the, that I always used to look forward to this time of year was the Oberon, and I think that's just out all year now. <laughs> yeah, people you know will come in, they'll sort of say, you know, hey, is Oberon out yet? I'm like, no, it's a seasonal beer. Now I know it goes 11 months of the of the year, but we're calling that one month, and Oberon's not available, but it'll be available very shortly. So don't worry about that. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the knowledge as always, and thank you so much for sharing it. My, my pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you. Check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hops Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here for our conversation, he's a country artist, songwriter, and he also, he dabbles a little bit on the business side of things. He's the founder of Granddaddy Mims Distilling. Welcome in, Tommy Townsend. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. It's it's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Yeah, we, we uh, met for a few minutes in Lexington a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Or three weeks we, ago. We, we, ne- next time though, we'll have to, you'll have to stick around a little longer. We'll have to share some drinks. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> And, and and I say that because I think you got some good drinks that we're going to be talking about, along with some good music. But before we yeah. get into all that, this is Bar Conversations. What's your go-to drink? Or what are you drinking uh, tonight? Uh, I'm Well, what I'm drinking tonight is actually our um, uh, 85 proof uh, peach whiskey. Mm. Yeah. So I like that, it. That or the peach moonshine just on ice is is my uh, go-to drink every time. I can see why. I, I opened the peach moonshine. Yeah. 96 proof. And the second drink sip was even better than the first. And yeah. eventually I'm going to crack into this bad boy as we ch- talk. Yeah. The little yeah, five-year granddaddy Mims Georgia whiskey. That's a good one, yeah. So um, I'm excited to talk about these. But it's it's interesting. You're a musician by trade, but... You got into the moonshine business. Yeah, and that was just uh, a fluke conversation I had with a friend of mine, um, and he's from uh, Anaheim, California, and uh, we were in uh, out around Lubbock, Texas, um, when when the conversation got started, and it was just a just like I said, a fluke conversation that uh, that this all came about. And what now? Obviously, though, I believe. Granddaddy Mims is named after someone that's pretty close to you, right? Yeah, he was my grandfather. Uh, his name was Jack McClure, and um, all of the uh, the grandkids called him Mimi, or later on uh, it got shortened to Mim for some reason. Um, but uh, the, the oldest grandchild, Terry Roberts, uh, started calling him Mimi as you know, so the grandpa or granddaddy or whatever. So that's that's where it, it came from. Was from uh, my cousin Terry Roberts. And is it true that it's his recipe for the moonshine? Yes, it is. It sure is. Uh, when we when we first started all of this, uh, this, this all the conversation actually uh, with Jack Keeter and I started in 2011. Um, and uh, he was like, can you get your hands on the recipe? He said, if you can, I'll, I'll help you back it. And uh, so I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I said, I've, I don't remember my grandfather 
I was, I was, uh, you know, like a year old or something when he passed away. Uh, and, um, I said, I don't remember him, but I just remember stories and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll see what I can do. You know, uh, I've heard like, you know, my mom is my mom's dad. And I've heard stories down through the years about him bootlegging and all the stuff. And so, uh, when I got back to Nashville, I called my mom and uh, asked her if I said, do you know anything about Mimi's moonshine recipes? And she said, well, son, she said, I, I don't really know. So I remember just people coming in and out of the house all hours of the night and, uh, <laughs> buying liquor and, and this and that. And, uh, she said, uh, but call your uncle George said he helped him make some before he went into service. So, um, I called my uncle George and, uh, he said, yeah, he goes, I don't, he said, I don't know that there was ever a written down recipe, but he said, I know exactly how we did it. So, um, he emailed that to me and, and it went from there. That's how it all, it all got started. Now, now, when did you actually make the business happen? Because obviously, if anyone knows about the liquor business, it does not move yeah. quickly when you're trying to get licenses and all that good stuff. No, it, it took a few year, a couple years to get all the licensing. We uh, we actually started the company uh, in 2012, um, and then uh, we had a, another distillery down in um, in Middle Georgia that made it for us for a while, and then. Uh, we set up the distillery in Blairsville, Georgia in 2016. So it took that long, you know, uh, start, uh, getting everything and start making it, um, in Blairsville, Georgia. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's not a, uh, it's a hurry up and wait process. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's so funny. Uh, you know, I, I told, uh, I told my wife what, uh, uh, what I wanted to do. And she's like, yeah, right. You know, and, um, her being an overachiever, um, she, uh, she actually sat down and did all of the licensing and she or I, neither one knew anything about making liquor or producing liquor or anything about anything that they had. We had to answer questions for on the, on all of the, the, uh, the stuff, you know, we had to fill out. So, um, we were going to get, like I say, we were going to get an attorney to uh, to fill out all the paperwork for us. And, and like I say, Christy, her being an overachiever, a school teacher and all that, she's like, oh, I can do this myself. So she had made friends with the uh, the TTB agent in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, who's still our uh, uh, Georgia Department of Revenue agent uh, in, in Gainesville, Georgia, and they helped her. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so, that, that's a, that's a smart lady right there. <laughs> yeah, it is, and uh, it saved us a bunch of money. And uh, so, yeah, I love that. Uh, 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 oh, that that is awesome. And and obviously, you, you're part part of the business now. Do they let you around the equipment to make anything, or are you like permanently like kicked out? Kicked? Well, no. That I've uh, I could I I could do actually a little bit of all of it. Um, we have distillers, uh, that make it, um, uh, and, um, I've, I've made it with them. I haven't never made a run on my own, but yeah, I can, I can do that. I can bottle it. I can label it. I can proof it. Uh, I, I learned all of it. And it, it was so funny back when we first got started and it, I mean, this was all started as a hobby. It was nothing ever intended to what it's grown to now. And, um, so, I remember 
uh, I was home from the road for just you know a few days and uh, came down to Blairsville and and uh, so I thought well I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to figure out how to mix all this stuff you know and so I went I went over to the distillery like at 9 a.m. in the morning haven't hadn't eaten breakfast or anything you know and eager to start getting diving into it you know just and uh, so after about 30 minutes of a little mixing a little drinking and stuff i had to sit down (laughs) (laughs) no maybe not the best choice for breakfast right (laughs) probably not yeah yeah i had to sit there about 10 minutes before i could drive home (laughs) but 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 you are legitimately part of the business when when we met in lexington you're you're not bootlegging but you're kind of running and doing stuff and and you're you're out there helping sell it yeah i'll I love, you know, um, when I have time to go out to the stores and see them and taste, you know, taste the store owners. And, and that's, that's a ton of fun. We, we sold a bunch in, in the Lexington, uh, area, you know, when I met you that day, we'd, uh, visited new stores that, you know, we hadn't been in and stuff. And, and, um, so every, everybody likes it. And, uh, I, I was actually, uh, two weeks ago, I was in Savannah, uh, with uh, Burton, you met Burton. It was with, mm-hmm. he's our he's our sales uh, rep for the company, and um, one of the guys in in one of the stores said uh, said, "Man, we love it that you, you're the uh, you know one of the owner the owner of it, the founder, and and you came in to see us." He said that never happens. He said there was a a nephew of one of the huge companies came in one time, but uh, he said uh, he said, "Man, that's special when when the owner comes in." And, uh, so I, uh, I try to do that as much as I can. Well, and, and you got a good product to sell. Cause I, I love that. It's a moonshine that's up uh, upwards of like what a moonshine should be. It's not an 80 proof, 60 proof. It's, you know, the peach yeah. is 96 proof. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we have some, you know, some of the, the lighter, uh, proofs or whatever too, just something for everybody, but, uh, all the high proof flavors that, that we have and the just strict, just straight corn liquor. You know, it's all up there. It's 100, 140 proof, you know, something like that. So, uh, and what's surprisingly is the 140 proof is probably our best seller in liquor stores. Because it's not there much. It's just not there. No, it's not. It's it's too hot for me to drink. I can kind of take a little sip of it, you know, but I always, always tell, uh, we always tell bartenders or something like that. So think of it this way. You can get, um, you know, you can get double the pours. <laughs> that is very true. Now, now, yeah. do you have a favorite? You know, you got the moonshine, you got the whiskey, you even got a little bit of vodka. Do you have a favorite, or is it just the, something flavored with peach? Um, well, yeah, I um, I love peach, so we did the peach whiskey, uh, and this is just a young whiskey that we did um, flavored it, and then I love the the the. 96 peach moonshine and I, I like stuff with a little burn i like to let you know i like to know i'm drinking uh you know liquor uh and uh but one of, one of my favorite as far as drinks um i'm i love margaritas you know and uh so we do moonshine margaritas too uh, with, yeah with the 140 proof uh and uh like I say you can get a little bit of that burn and and uh um you know, know you're drinking a margarita too so <laughs> i like that now you before we went on air you were telling me you had a, a little bit of fun too with the moonshine and doing a little barrel aging too yeah we uh and back in 2018 uh we started putting our moonshine in bourbon barrels 
uh, used bourbon barrels. And um, so last uh, last year, or no, I guess it was 2021, we uh, the fall of 21, we released our first barrel. And um, we uh, uh, put it in at about 120 proof and, and uh, it came out, you know, little little less than that uh the, that one particular barrel and uh, we didn't have enough to distribute but we sold it at the distillery and uh, we sold that whole barrel in like i don't know two weeks we had people calling reserving bottles of it and um so we got to doing that and we thought and this is back we weren't making as much as we are now and we thought okay every time we have some you know extra liquor we'll throw it in a barrel so we were every couple months with putting a barrel back and uh now we have uh we put about four or five barrels back a month we have a total of 68 barrels uh filled with liquor and um so we just released the first three barrels uh to liquor stores in in georgia and uh florida's interested in them kentucky's interested in them but we'll have 12 ready this year so uh Hopefully you'll get one up there around Kentucky this year. <laughs> I, I, I love it because, you know, it's it's fun to see that, and especially when you actually age it, you know, not just there yeah. for, for a little while, but let it actually sit there and soak in those flavors because that can add a, a little bit to it and take a little bit of that, that edge off on the backside. Yeah, and it's got a, you know, it's kind of got the bourbon profile, you know, with it because you got the, you know, the, the oaky thing, you know, the oaky and the, the wood and all that, and but there's a story behind aging it too that my grandfather did. Um, he used to uh, put it in wooden barrels back a long time ago, every once in a while. And uh, instead of uh, him and my uncle Abel uh, would would make it and uh, they put it in a barrel every once in a while when they had enough. And they, they called it instead of charred, uh, you know, the old Southern slang, they call it chartered. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, my cousin uh, Terry again was telling me about that because he was actually old enough to be around my grandfather, and when he was, uh, you know, uh, early teens, and, and helped him make it and run it and stuff. So uh, I, I know uh, there's one story that uh, that Terry had told me that um, uh, my grandfather and Terry would sit on the front porch, and uh, Terry said he'd spend the night with my grandmother and my grandfather in the summertime and and um so uh my i guess my grandfather had a habit of uh, uh one of those zippo lighters because he smoked uh, those prince albert's rolled up cigarettes and um so he said that he'd sit out there in the rocking chair and swing back and forth and he'd flick the lighter you know with his thumb click 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 and um so terry said he would sit in the swing uh and uh he said the the law would come up or some of the revenue or people would come up and and uh, my, my grandfather would say, boy, you know what to do. So Terry would go get the liquor, put it in the law car, and everything would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I love like true. So it, it's one of those things where, you know, you hear all those places, oh, I found this, and it's, it's a yeah. belief story. But no, this is real life, this fun, is real life. Yeah. fun stories to share that are true and make it even more enjoyable. Oh, I know. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, I don't know how long we got, but I can tell you a ton of stories, but one time they were, they used to make liquor and, uh, it was at the, at the end of, I guess at the end or the beginning of Gumlog road. Uh, 
over in Young Harris, Georgia. And um, they, it was a place called the County Farm. And uh, so they used to haul uh, sugar in um, on a sled full with the mules, so, you know, so they wouldn't have to carry it so far back in the woods. And uh, so um, they had loaded some sugar on the sled and here comes the law. And I can't remember the guy's name that, that helped them uh, back then. And uh, so he saw the law coming. He jumped, he jumped ship, ran, got away. And they couldn't find him or they couldn't find my grandfather. So they took the mules into custody <laughs> to the jail. And of course my grandfather never did claim the mules, uh, but they all had a good idea of whose they were. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to mules. I guess they sold them or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, see, and, and this is what I, I enjoy about having drinks and having fun conversations. And yeah. what's extra crazy, too, is you're pretty good at music. Yeah, yeah, I've played a song or two over the, over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you get into music? Oh, my gosh. I got, I, as long, as far back as I can remember, I have just I've loved music. My, my dad was a player. Um, he, he was, he played bluegrass and, um, he was actually offered a job with Bill Monroe back in the late fifties. And he had, he had, uh, turned it down cause him and my mom had just gotten married and stuff. And, and, uh, he'd, he'd always told me, he said that, uh, if he had known that he was going to have a son, he was going to do professional music one of these days. He had loved to have done it just to share stories with me. But my dad played in, you know, square dance bands, you know, and stuff around Georgia and, and with my cousins and, and all that. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how I got into music. I've always, I've always loved it, you know, all kinds of music, not just country music, but all kinds of music. And, and you, you got a, a pretty good one that kind of had a pretty big impact on you and that, and that was Waylon. Yeah. Waylon had a, had a huge influence on, on my career. Uh, and I guess my parents were fans of his and I remember going and seeing him uh, back when I was about 13 years old and uh, I was already a fan because I, my mom and dad had all the records and tapes and everything and so uh, um, my Hell's Angels did security for Wayland back then this is in uh, like the mid 80s or whatever and um, so uh, my mom and dad got to talking to one of them and and uh, them that I liked him and, and stuff and so he said well bring Tommy down here to the the side of the stage after the show and we'll take him back there and meet him and so you know i went down there and, and um, his name was uh rick uh but there was three or four of them that, that there was boomer and uh, deacon he he was actually the head of the hell's angels chapter in oakland they were all there rick rick was the one that actually kind of came out and got me and took me back there and took me on Wayland's bus and we spent oh gosh i don't know probably 30 or 45 minutes just talking. He was, he was just as nice as he could be to me. And, um, and that struck up a friendship and, and we got to know the band and the crew and all of that. And then every time they were around, like, you know, the North Georgia, Atlanta area or North Carolina or Chattanooga, we'd always go see them, you know, cause they were around, you know, two or three times a year. And, um, and then I guess when I was 15, I had done a little tape, uh, with a friend of mine that had a little studio and I gave it, I gave it to Waylon. And, um, uh, I guess the next time I saw him, um, uh, you know, we were talking about it and he's like, you know, when you get old enough, I'd like to start working with you. So I was a senior in high school 
and um, him and uh, Waylon and, and his bass player Jerry Bridges uh, started working with me. J Jerry took me in the studio first. Uh, Waylon, I remember because I remember when we went in the studio. Waylon was filming the movie uh, Stagecoach with Johnny Cash and Willie and and I think it's Chris Christopherson. So he he wasn't there at that that particular session. So uh, Jigger produced that and then. Uh, Waylon came in about a year or so later and started, he and Jerry produced uh, stuff on me up until the, the late 90s. I mean, is it is it crazy to think back to that, that you were at 13, 14, teenage years just hanging out with Waylon and yeah. working with him? It's, it's funny. I, at the time, you know, you're young and dumb and everything. <laughs> I didn't really think that much about it. I, I thought it was cool or well, whatever, yeah. you know, but... Um, but yeah, uh, you know, and uh, when I was in high, well, I had just graduated high school, and Waylon invited me to, to go out on stage a few times and play music with him, and and he would let me do "Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys" with him, and "Good Hearted Woman" with him, and you know, here I am, uh, just you know, eighteen years old, doing that with with them, and did that uh, a lot through the years till he passed away. Yeah, so, but and. And now, now you said, you know, like Waylon was a, a big influence. Who were some maybe other big influences on you? Because, I mean, I, had, uh, I guess the first song that I can ever really remember singing was, uh, you know, I was like, my mom and dad were big country music fans, and and um, it was Conway Twitty's Only Make Believe. Hmm. That was, uh, he was a, I loved his singing. I loved, uh, I got into Hank Williams Jr. Um, and Vern Gosden. Um, and then later, when Keith Whitley came along, I got got into his music. And uh, I've always I've always said if you probably take Waylon Jennings and Conway Twitty and Keith Whitley and Vernon Gosling and you cook them in a pot all day, you got Tommy Townsend. So <laughs> it's not a bad recipe. That's not a no, bad recipe. No, not at all. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I love uh, uh, that's kind of the ones that influence me and in, in my singing style today. You know, so uh, of course I don't. I don't do new country at all, and uh, you know, uh, modern radio wouldn't touch me with a ten foot pole. But <laughs> but uh, I do get a lot of play on the Americana and Outlaw, uh, Sirius XM Outlaw, and stuff like that. Well, I, I was gonna say, in, in last year you put out an album, Southern mm -hmm. Man, mm -hmm. and while it's new in the sense that it's out now, it's not exactly new in the sense of when some of those songs were originally recorded. Oh yeah, I mean, Dak Southern Man was one of the first uh, songs we ever cut in the late '80s. You know, and I was, I was, uh, you know, in my uh, nineteen something like that and, uh, when that was done, and and a few of those other songs on the album. And then, like I say, uh, in the late '90s, uh, Jerry and Waylon took me back in the studio again. And we re recorded some more stuff, and then. It never did find a home at that time, and then Waylon passed away, and and it just laid around, um, you know, in in my closet, <laughs> for or actually in my parents' uh, closet for a long time, and until um, Craig Campbell, uh, you know, my good friend Craig Campbell that does management and publicity and everything um, with me, um, he had got in touch with Chuck Rhodes at uh, BFD Audio Nashville. And uh, so they loved the album and wanted to 
asked me if it was okay to put it out. And I'm like, yeah, because this is, this, this, I always thought it was a great album. It just never, you know, got the shot at that time. And then I remember Waylon told me one time, the last time we were recording and we were sitting in the, in the, in the lounge at the studio there on uh, uh, 18th Avenue, uh, right across from the music mill. I don't know if you're familiar with, with the music mill. That's where Alabama reported all their stuff. And uh, we're sitting in there. And uh, Waylon said, you know what? He goes, uh, I would take this to record labels, but he said they would probably do something, uh, say something about you or about me, and it would uh, it would piss me off, and I would ruin your career. <laughs> so he was thoughtful, thoughtful, he very was thoughtful. thoughtful. Yeah, he and uh, he was truthful, but he was he was uh, such a nice man, and everything that he did, uh, you know, he and Jigger uh, did with me, they they did it just you know they liked my singing and stuff, so. I thought that was always cool. Well, and like you said, Southern Man actually has Waylon on the track. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's probably one of the last ones that we made that I ever might see the, the light of day that's kind of new from that had his, him on there. But yeah. you went back in and kind of added a little bit of touch up to it, correct? We did that. And, you know, um, the label remastered it and, you know, beefed up everything um, to, to make it sound uh, the way it does now. Um, and, but it, uh, I didn't write any of the songs on it because at that time I wasn't writing because I was too young to write, uh, especially the songs I was singing about on, the, on that You didn't record. have those life experiences yet? I hadn't, I hadn't had near those life experiences yet, you know. I maybe had a girlfriend or two or something, I don't know, but that's about it. But uh, but there's like writers on there, Dean Dillon, you know, he, he wrote uh, one of the songs, uh, Roger Murrow that wrote countless number one country songs up for Alan Jackson and, and or wrote with Alan Jackson in Alabama and all that, him and Fred Noblock and uh, who else is on there? Uh, Waylon and Troy Seals wrote one of the songs. But yeah, Waylon, Waylon is singing on several of those things and playing guitar on, on it too. So um, that, that's just, you know, if it never did anything, I'd, you know, cherish that, you know, that I have that. I was going to say, I mean, at the end of the day, how cool is it to see Southern Man just have that that chance to be out there and folks to really yeah. enjoy it? And it it it's it's done really well. Um, we've we've had you know tons and tons and tons of downloads and streams and all that. And then it was actually, it actually came out on vinyl um, record store day uh, this past uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. It was released on vinyl, limited amount of vinyl i think it was i don't know uh, a couple thousand and it sold out in a day it surely did i, I bought 100 copies but uh just to have you know uh the, to sell it the distillery or you know take out with me or whatever and and uh actually had had the they actually printed a few more for me uh that I got. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if there was someone to do that for it might be you yeah yeah, so, um, but yeah, we've, uh, you can go to uh, TommyTownsandMusic.com and order, order an album, and it's, it's in, it's in some of the vinyl stores, you know, that's scattered across the country, because vinyl's, you know, popping back up now. I was going to so, say, vinyl outsold CDs this past year. It did, I saw that, I saw that article about that, yeah. <laughs> See, all uh, things come back around, so even, you know, that, that, that old school country that, that folks think about, you know, it's coming back. It is. It surely is. Record cassette 
tra- uh, cassettes and eight tracks may come back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like about that. I don't know. <laughs> coming back uh, a little bit. Cassettes are. <laughs> I don't know about the eight tracks that I can. I can just barely remember those, but <laughs> I do. Remember. See, now I remember cassettes because I had had that as my my, my main. Uh, you know, I had the Trackman type CD player that I had to have the the cassette player to actually play in the car. That was that was how I got to listen yeah. to music. Uh-huh. Yeah, and make so. mixtapes on. Remember the mixtapes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, those those were good old days and. And you know, you also you had some good old days too, because there for a while after after Wayland passed, you were playing and in, in fronting Waymore's Outlaws. What, what what was that like? Yeah, that's that was a great experience too. Yeah, in, in two thousand, I think this was two thousand eight. Uh, the band decided to get back together, and they asked me if I would uh, consider fronting the band. And I'm like, I didn't have to think about that for just a second because uh, Richie Albright and and uh, Jigger J- uh, Jerry Bridges. Everybody calls him Jigger. So if, you, if you hear me reference his Jigger, it's Jerry Bridges. But um, they were getting the band back together and wanted to go out and do some shows, and they asked me if I'd front the band, and I'm like, well, heck yeah, you don't have to ask me about that. So we did that uh, up until 2020, actually. So, I mean, we and then we toured with Shooter Jennings uh, uh, f- five of those years. Um really heavy and uh uh so uh and of course 2020 nobody worked <laughs> yeah yeah. But, uh, yeah but we we actually you know richie albright passed away in 2021 um and uh jeff bridges jerry's son plays drums now and we, we don't really tour anymore um but we go out and do uh you know, one-offs here and there or play around Nashville, you know, in the surrounding areas of Nashville or something. But, uh, we're actually me and Jerry and uh, Fred Newell, the steel guitar player, or, uh, this weekend we'll be in, uh, uh, Riverton, Illinois and Belleville, Illinois, which is right outside St. Louis. Uh, we're doing some, a couple of listening rooms and uh, that's going to be fun. We, we haven't done that before the three of us. So, uh, yeah, we're, I'm looking forward to, uh, going out there and doing those shows at uh let's see where's it um the backroom lounge uh and actually we our liquor's distributed in illinois so we'll bring the liquor in and and uh do a promotion with that and uh do a bottle signing friday afternoon from three to six at uh the uh part the riverton party store in uh, riverton illinois and then saturday night we're playing in belleville at the vin- venue on maine that that one's sold out actually. Uh, all ten seats. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is standing room only. <laughs> but I mean, like when you think back, you know, I know, I know, I, I asked this earlier about you know when you look back and getting to play with Waylon, but just like your journey, your career, you know, that you got to work with Waylon, Shooter, the, the the Jennings Clan, then play with Waymore and things like that. I mean. I know it's weird to kind of take that step back at times because you're still doing stuff, but is it? do you ever do that and take that step back and just look at, at where you all, you've been and everything you've gotten to do? I, since I've gotten older, I do. I, I, I didn't used to, um, but uh, I kind of I do now. And um, I, I didn't, with, with the thing that, um, you know, about going back and thinking uh, how cool was that to, to be do that with Waylon and all that, 
that, that actually hit me not long after he passed away, and, and I'm not I'm not name dropping at all, but um, we're friends with the Cyrus, uh, Billy Ray and Tish, and and matter of fact, my daughter Megan and Molly grew up together, and um, we were at a a school dance one night when the girls were in elementary school, and Billy Ray and I were sitting there talking and uh, on the bleachers. And uh, he said, how cool was that that you got to do all that stuff with Waylon, you know? And and I guess it was that moment when he, you know, asked me about it that I thought, yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're the one with all the money. <laughs> but it's those but, memories uh, that last. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it kind of, and then, you know, and sort of, and then when we started on the road with Waymore's Outlaws or when I did, uh, it was so fun. Every, every every time, you know, we're going down the road or something, there's always a story about all the stuff back then and, and what they did and how they did it. And, and um, yeah, it's just, it was it was great. So uh, I would love to have a tape recorder or something and just tape Richie and Jigger and all them just talking about all that. But uh, I, do, I do have a pretty good memory, and I remember most of everything they talked about. So... Yeah. Well, and I know when when you and I were, I were talking, you know, a little while back back when you were in Lexington, and you know you, you're doing some some shows and kind of those fun shows with with you know Granddaddy Mims, but also being able to just share these stories. Like, how cool yeah. is it to be able to share some of these things with folks? Yeah, it is, and that's that's kind of what we're doing this weekend in Illinois with uh, with Jerry and Fred Newell is. Um, you know, I'll be able to share stories about, you know, my grandfather and tell stories about that. And then we'll, we'll do and tell stories about Waylon. And, you know, uh, although I wasn't around during the crazy years or whatever, I, I still have great memories of when I met Waylon, he had already kind of, you know, uh, kicked the drug habit and all that. He started behaving. He started behaving, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, um, it, it's, that's going to be fun to do that. And, uh, and then there'll be, you know, you'll you'll think of one story, then something else will come up. But we'll do stories and songs. That's kind of what we're doing with that. So it'll be fun. I was gonna say that that that's a great time. And you know, obviously, you released Southern Man, uh, you yeah. know, last year. Any new music or any other fun things maybe coming this way that you can tell me and not get yourself in trouble? Yeah, maybe so. Um, um, I tell you, well, I was we've kind of started on another record i've done some pre-production on some stuff that um you know a few weeks ago and but um have you ever heard of the rapper and his name is playa poncho and he's from atlanta and he had he had a huge huge record several years ago called what's up what's up and Mm -hmm. and uh of course i don't remember that either but other people do because i never would never listened to rap I've always loved the rap beats, you know, all that, mm-hmm. all the, I've always loved that, uh, you know, and, uh, but anyway, he and I had met back in October. And so, um, it was through the liquor business is how we, how we met. And he actually came to the distillery and we visited all day, one day, him and one of his, uh, guys, this, uh, that works with him. And, uh, so he, he had listened to my music and I had listened to some of his and we, uh, we all went and played golf together that day and, and, uh, and just, you know, got just hung out. And 
So he he was telling me kind of at the end of the day, he's like, man, we need to collaborate on some stuff. And uh, uh, cross country music with uh, hip hop. And of course, that's, you know, that's kind of being done in Nashville now a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're taking it a little bit farther than that. We're, we're uh, when we recorded in Atlanta uh, last week, um, and uh, so I, I don't know how much I can tell you. I'm trying to dance around the deal here. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to tell you, it's just a cool story. But anyway, so we went in without a plan. I mean, with nothing. And so, like I say, the, you know, the kind of country rap stuff that's going on in Nashville now. Well, I took a steel player, a steel guitar player with me. And then I took my Telecaster with me. And so uh, when, uh, when Tim set his steel guitar up in that studio, you'd think a spaceship landed in there. Because <laughs> there ain't nobody ever seen that, you know, in the, in the, in the hip-hop community. Well... So we didn't have a plan of anything, and we were just going to just sort of vibe and see uh, what's you know what becomes of it because you, you know usually with country music you write your you write your songs you have the the studio players you go in you have a plan you know it's an intro it's a verse it's a chorus it's a it's and all that and uh, so we had nothing and they turned on that drum beat thing that the you know and. Tim and I just started playing with it, you know, just back and forth because we, you know, uh, we'd play, we've played together a lot over the past few years. And, and, and then, then Poncho just starts rapping this stuff. And so several hours later on into the night, we came out with a song and I tell you what, it's one of the, the songs that I am most proud of in anything I've done. Um, and I can't wait for everybody to hear it. I, I'm not sure when it'll come out or if it'll come out, but no, it'll come out <laughs> one, one way or another. But um, yeah, um, we came out with something that's very, very special and it's traditional country with, with my Telecaster twang and, and Tim's steel guitar. And, uh, uh, some bluegrass harmonies mm. in there with that, with that, that this, that real, you know, uh, hip hop beat. And, um, it, it is, it's, it's, it's something very special. And I guarantee you, when you hear the song, you will not be able to get it out of your head. I like I mean, it. It's, it's that cool. I mean, it really is. And we're planning on, we might possibly do, an EP together. Ooh, I like so, it even better. Yeah, and uh, like I say, it's it's like nothing that that you've heard in the country rap or anything like that. It's it's uh, it's twangy Telecaster and steel guitar and bluegrass harmonies. A lot, I like on it. Top of all of the 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 hip hop stuff, and uh, so they're they're going to do some more stuff with it. Matter of fact, I'm traveling. I'm down. I'm going back in the studio with them tomorrow. Uh, I, I, uh, we're going to do the second verse, uh, and, uh, you know, Poncho and me and Tim all collaborated on the song. And, um, so, um, 
Yeah, it's something very very special, and I can't wait for you to hear it. I like it because I, I saw that on, on your socials, so I knew yeah. knew you were doing something fun, but I, I like a good tease. And, and folks, if you're, if you're not following them, I, I, I recommend it. And, and if you're not following like Granddaddy Mims, it, it, that's fun too because I enjoy watching. Y'all have a good time down there. It's not just a regular distillery like that no, people think of. No, everybody works there. Is we 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 you know recognize them as family because every almost every one of them has been with us since we started, and it's like everybody knows what to do and when to do it, and you don't have to boss people around or nobody else has to. They just everybody just kind of knows what what to do, and that makes it a very easy work environment. And like I say, I'm I'm there quite a bit too, so. You know, they, sometimes they have to tell they tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep you in line on on occasion too. Keep me in line, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of fun doing that. So I enjoy getting my hands dirty. And and I guess my last question is what what else can folks expect expect from you the rest of twenty twenty three? We'll uh, we'll be out doing some shows here and there and uh, doing some more recording and. Uh, like I say, with uh, being play a poncho, um, it'll you'll hopefully hear some of that uh, later on this year, and uh, so it's just a lot of exciting things. And then I'm working on another record too, so myself, so it's going to be be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm having I'm having more fun now with it, and I got the create creative juices flowing again, and all that. So that's that's a lot of fun. That that is awesome, and, and and Tommy, thanks for sharing a few drinks with me, a little moonshine, a little, little whiskey, and, yeah. and sharing some stories too. Yeah, yeah anytime. I, I love it. Thanks for having me on. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.